Welcome to the Connect Community Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. We're so glad to have you with us today. If you're ever in our area, come see us in person. We hope today's message inspires you and helps you live better. We're starting a new series today titled Philippians. Uh, it's not any uh, fancy title for the series. We just want to get straight into what we're doing. Very descriptive. Uh, Philippians is one of the letters that Paul wrote uh, to a group of people uh, who were a church in a city of Philippi in Greece. And uh, we're going to look into this book, this short letter. There are four chapters. So each week we're going to look at a chapter this month of June. Let me ask you this question. Is the thought of having a pure life attractive to you? When was the last time that you spent time thinking about, you put real thought into the idea of living pure, living, living blameless, having a life of integrity? So in recent years, there has been a rise in people's desire to eat clean. And so we, we, have, uh, we have moved toward eating clean after a generation of fast food, deep fried, greasy, and sugary goodness was left with all sorts of health issues. We are rethinking our, our dietary needs. And culturally, we're correcting. And we're moving toward whole and healthy foods. We've seen more and more specialty grocery stores and, and meal services and exercise programs. And it seems like everybody has a new diet, right? I'm on keto. No, I'm on the youngest thing. Oh, no, I'm on the prehistoric diet of meat only and you know, everybody has a new diet, and they, everybody's diet is the best one, right? Oh, you have to get on my diet. Slow your row. <laughs> this drive exists because we all aspire to feel better. We want to live better. No one wants to go through life lethargic, sedentary, tired all the time. We want our bodies to function properly. We want our, our bodies to be at the optimal level. But with all this drive toward physical health, we still haven't opened our minds to mental and spiritual health. Surely there's a lot of awareness. We're all aware that there is a weight on our society, that there's something that's not quite right about the way that we're living life. And we talk about it. There's a lot of awareness. But if you look at the numbers, Short of quotable phrases and inspiring mottos and, and, you know, nice speeches, if you look at the data, what we actually have is an increased number of people suffering from anxiety, stress, loneliness, and all sorts of mental disorders. Depression and anxiety is a number that continues to rise and not only rises in the adult age group, but people suffering from anxiety and stress are getting younger and younger. Depression, too. In the last 10 years, depression among people between the ages of 16 and 25 has nearly doubled, especially in, in the younger age group, which is alarming. I want to remind you today that Jesus came not only to restore our relationship with God, 
not only to make us right with God, but to lead us to a kind of life here on earth that is healthy and whole. He wants us to, to lead a life in the optimal capacity, in the optimal way that we were designed to live. And so we're going to spend this month talking about what it looks like to be a healthy follower of Christ, healthy Christian living. Because I'm convinced and I'm persuaded that there's enough empirical evidence in the world today to show us that following the way of Jesus, following His way of life, is the solution for our soul ailments, the things that we're, we're dealing with to our dysfunction. So we're going to spend this month studying and learning from this small letter that Paul wrote to Philippi. There's so much packed in that. Uh, and we're going we're gonna to explore a few ideas from it. It's important to notice that and, and to mention that Paul wrote this letter from prison. Most likely he was, he was arrested. He was in prison in Rome. And he wrote to them because they sent him a gift. They, were, they had ministered to him. They sent him a gift while he was in pre- prison. And so he was writing this letter to friends who are not only his friends in ministry, but they're also suffering in the same way that he is suffering. They're also being persecuted in, in Greece. And they're also uh, suffering for the gospel. And so Paul is sharing his experience and he's affirming in his conviction the way that they are meant to live as followers of Jesus. We're going to pick up on Philippians chapter 1. We're going to stay on chapter 1, but I'm going to start on verse 8 for you. And it, it says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We don't write like that anymore, do we? Could you imagine if we sent letters to people like that? It would be so awesome. But Paul paints a picture here. And he makes a connection between abounding love and blameless living. He makes a connection between living in love and living a pure life. And he says that it was, it's his prayer that this church in Greece would live in such a way that they would be found pure and blameless. And when I was studying this passage, these two words just popped in my mind, in my heart, and I felt like this is where we're supposed to focus today. Because Paul, as their pastor, as their leader, he's telling them, listen, purity is the goal here. We live in a crooked generation. People are living in all sorts of ways. And, and I'm calling you and I'm guiding you to, to, to realize that purity in God is the goal. And Paul is not alone. If you go back to the Torah, the first five Books in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, if you get to the Psalms, the prophets, the Gospels, the, 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 the epistles, and even Revelation, they all affirm this idea. They all say that, first, God is love. Second, that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, and that God is holy. And that because He is holy, we ought to be holy. God is pure. Because He's pure, we ought to seek to live a pure life. And throughout the Scriptures, we see this call for mankind to be pure, blameless. 
Now, why should it matter? 2022, J.D., like, why should this matter? Why should this idea matter? Why should anyone desire to be pure? I don't know if you're pro-purity or anti-purity here. What camp you fall into? You might be, you know, in, in one or the other. Maybe you love the idea of purity because you're a clean freak. You're a neat freak. So anything that, that, that you picture, like, okay, it, it resembles cleanliness. Yes, I'm in. Or maybe you're on the other camp. Maybe for you, I know that for some people, the word purity sounds icky. It's like, it, it just, because of your church history, maybe it doesn't sound good. Maybe it, you don't like the word purity in church because you grew up in a context where the word purity was only used for one reason. And that is premarital, intimate relations. And, you know, so you held on, and, and, and then, but once you're married, you, that word just, you chuck it out, and it's done, right? Or maybe it becomes irrelevant through life, right? Because you go like, ah, I don't have to worry about it anymore. So that word just, it, it just it hits you not in the best way. Or maybe you don't like Christians using the word purity, because especially here in the Northeast, because it's too close to the word Puritan. And that's why you can't buy a beer and wine on Sundays. So forget those guys. And maybe, maybe that's why you don't like the word too much. But if you get past those resistances and whatever else, uh, whatever other prejudice you might have against the word, if you can get past it, and you, and you think about the idea of purity, and you're honest about it in your heart, you realize this, that at our core, we all already desire it. We all want purity. We want a pure heart. We want a heart without malevolence. We want a heart without evil. We want a life without those things. This is how King David voiced his desire for purity in one of his songs. Psalm 19, verse 12, 13, say this. I'm reading from the NLT version. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? And then he prays, cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. In other words, God, I don't, wanna, I don't want to deliberately miss the mark. I don't want the thing that's grasping me. I don't want to get so corrupt, so impure in my heart that I do the wrong thing on purpose. Sometimes we do that, right? I don't want to do that. That's what he's praying. Now, this is a prayer that I think we can all relate to. And we, if you've lived a little bit, you will realize that you relate to because every generation has had to grapple with their sins. In every generation, we've, we're tr constantly trying to cleanse ourselves from our sins. Whether it be injustices in society, things in the past, we're always trying to cleanse ourselves, personal hangups that you want to overcome and things that you saw in your family that you don't want to repeat. We're constantly in that mode of mind where we want to be purified. We want to get better. We want to be cleansed. And purity is important because when our hearts are not pure, it clouds our judgment. We can't really see things clearly. Our priorities are clouded and our resolve to make right choices gets clouded as well. 
Just like to be healthy means that your body is free of disease and, and that you're living at an optimal level. Just like to have integrity means you don't allow corruption in your mind and in your value system. Purity is a pursuit. To be blameless is a goal that we ought to have. And, and it's a way to filter our decisions and, and to get direction for the course of our lives. Titus chapter 1 verse 15 say this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. See, to be, poor, to be pure doesn't mean that you're naive. To be pure doesn't mean that you're blinded to malice and evil, that you can't recognize it. It doesn't mean that you are weak or that you're sheltered from real life. But it just means that your heart is cleansed, that your mind is cleansed. It means that those things have no influence or dominion over you. You're not guilty. You're not living heavy, weighed down. You know how great it is to live like that? To live a life where you don't owe anybody anything? You don't feel guilty? If anybody that you know could walk in the room and you'd be okay. As far as it depends on you, you're at peace with everyone. Your outlook is bright, positive, and you find the good. You find contentment in every season of life. It's a great way to live. So I want to encourage you today to make a decision to live a pure life with a pure heart. To live a life that is blameless. To make that part of your lifestyle. To, to make it, to be above reproach, your goal. See, living pure is an active pursuit. It's not a passive event. I can pray for you. I can baptize you. I can anoint you with oil. I can come to your house and pray for your house. And, 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 and even open a Bible in the book of Psalms in the living room. It's not going to make you pure. pure. It's not going to change anything about your heart. Because purity is not a passive thing. To be pure of heart is not a passive thing. It's an active pursuit. So let's get into the, 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 the dissect this passage the, the, just to pull it apart a little bit. What makes you pure? What purifies you? That's the first question we ask. Well, if we go back to that passage on verse 10, Paul clarifies. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. Approve what is excellent. Approving what is excellent. Having a high standard. Making excellent decisions. Choosing life. And choosing to have an excellent life. Just being proactive about it. That, makes, that purifies you. That's how you purify your life. Deciding, you know what? I'm going to... Fill my mind and fill my, heart, my, my, my brain with excellent content. So I'm not just going to aimlessly scroll or, or watch things that are not positive, that are not good, because I'm trying to be excellent. So I'm going to let go of some of those things that, that are crippling me, because I want to be free. I'm going to be excellent with my finances, which means I'm no longer going to serve this mammon idea that I got to 
I've got to buy and I've got to have it and I'm going to be excellent with it. I'm going to spend less than I earn. I'm going to be wise with it. I'm going to be generous with my finances and bless other people. You might think, but shopping is how I find fulfillment. Well, that needs to change because, you know, you're looking to live an excellent life. And there might be other things. Purity guides our every decision. When we choose to live an excellent life, it begins to purify our values. So then you can go further with the question. Well, if, if you're going to choose excellence, how do you decide what is excellent? Because it's excellent according to whom, right? What, what defines what's excellent? How do you judge something to be excellent? And we go back to one verse prior. He explains that. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. In other words, he's saying abundant love that is full of knowledge and discernment will help you approve what's excellent so that you may be pure. Listen, this is so important. And I want you to pay attention to this because when I started the message, when you heard the word purity, maybe you know, your mind immediately went into a mode of thinking where you, you, you thought prohibition. Prohibition. Purity means a bunch of stuff that I can't have and I can't say and I can't do. That's what purity means. And maybe you even heard those voices. Maybe the enemy whispered in your mind, you know what? This message is not for you because you're too far gone. It's not going to work. Or maybe your own conscience was like, hey, this is, you're past the point or the ability to have a pure mind or a pure heart. There's too much stuff going on up here, man. You're not going to be able to, to live that way. I want you to understand this is important. This is the understanding, the knowledge, and the, the discernment part. Because uh, it'll, 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 help you, it'll help you silence those voices. See, Paul is not writing to them saying, It is my prayer that you stop sinning. Now, stay with me, right? It is my prayer that you stop sinning. Or he's not writing, It is my prayer that you stop doing the things that make you impure. Now, does that mean that we don't have to pay attention to that? No, that's not what that means. It just means that he didn't have to say that. Most of us know the, our hang-ups, the things that are holding us back. We know the things that are in our way, that are obstacles to our life. I don't have to tell you. Scripture says that God put his law in our hearts. There's, there's a conscious factor that accuses you in your heart when, you, when you're doing something wrong. His prayer came from the other side. He said, I pray that love may abound. This is, this is a change in, in mindset and the approach of living a pure and holy life. Now, Here's the reason why he prayed that way. And this is going to get a little technical, but 
I hope it brings clarity to all of us here. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 and 21 say this. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Talking about Christ. Now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What he's saying here is the only effect the law had on people was to tell them what they were doing wrong. So the law basically revealed people's sin so that they could avoid things. But he's saying with Christ, grace abounded all the more so that as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, whatever power that had you bound, it, those powers are broken by the grace of Christ because the grace of Christ is the thing that shows you the way. So instead of having a bunch of stop signs in front of you saying, don't do this, don't touch that, don't go here, don't go there, you have one path where Jesus says, follow me and go this way. He shows you the way to go instead of, instead of putting a bunch of don't go this way in front of you. Does that make sense? He gives us, gives us clarity on how to live and what to do. Christ poured out his love so that his love can abound in us. That's why we say that it's a relationship. It's not just a set of rules. Because it would be easy for us to just have a set of rules, but it would be miserable to have a set of rules. To just say, just don't, don't do this. Now, do we have rules for life? Of course we have rules for life. But this relationship with God is a relationship that gives us direction. And, and what Paul is saying is, I pray that you may receive his love. That you may abound in his love. Because his love is going to give you knowledge and discernment. You'll be able to choose things properly. And then you will be pure because your choices will be good. Now, you here, you might have had, had things in your life that were the central point of your judgment before you came to Christ. And you might be wrestling with some of those things right now. See, if greed was the main thing, if your judgment was, was guided by greed, your excellence was also guided by greed. So that means that you thought that the best way to live, the excellent way to live, was to accumulate, consume, and serve money. Because greed was the main thing. So whatever you thought was excellent was skewed by that thing. So your family came second. Your friends came second. And even you came second. Or maybe at one point, your judgment was guided by jealousy. Jealousy was the main thing that defined what is excellent. So excellency for you, the best way to live was to be better than someone else. To look better than someone else. To, to have a better career. And again, your family, the things that matter came second to that. Maybe your judgment had other guides. These are just two examples. There were other things that were guiding your sense of what is excellent. But when the grace of God appears in our lives, those things change. And what Paul is te teaching us here is that the love of God defines what is excellent. 
so that you can choose from a heart that is pure. That's why Paul didn't highlight sin, but he highlighted the solution. Instead of saying, hey, don't go here, don't go here, don't go here. He said, this is where you go. This is my prayer that love may abound in your heart. Because if there's love in your heart, you will be guided toward what is good and excellent. It is God's love that changes what is excellent to us. And you might have experienced that. Right? Maybe in your past, uh, you lived a certain way. And then you, you begin to have a relationship with Christ. And your values begin to change. There were certain things that you chose to do that you didn't, you, didn't need, you, didn't, you didn't need that anymore in your life. And the people around you thought it was weird. They're like, hmm, I don't know. Why, why, why are you changing? You're changing, man. You're changing. Lady, girl, trying to think of a... Let me encourage you to make God's love the instrument by which you qualify and you determine what is excellent. It should be God's love that is that rule, that barometer. That's the way to purity. Now think about this. Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, who became an apostle, He used to persecute people. He used to kill people in the name of God because they didn't follow God's rule. So at one point, when the church started growing, he would have a, a group of, of, of people, and they, he was persecuting church members and going from city and village to village, village to arrest them and to try them and to sentence them to that death because they didn't follow the rules. And now he's saying, listen, there's a way to live, and that is to have a heart that is abounding in love. And this same person, after being filled with the love of Christ, this is what he wrote in the same chapter, Philippians 1, chapter 1, uh, Philippians 1, verses 21 through 26. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. For your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, I am here in jail. And they might take my life. There's a big chance that they might take my life. And I'm at peace with that. Because I know that the only thing that's going to die is my body. My life is going to return to Christ. Return to God. And I'm actually looking forward to it. 
because it's been difficult. And if I die, that's, that's gain. But if I go, that's not advantageous for you. I know that if I stay, it's better for you. Because I can share in the love of Christ with you. I can guide you. I can teach you. So I think, I think I'm going to stay. I think that because of this, I'm going to stick around. So I can come see you. And we can share in God's love. This is a transformation that the love of God can have in the heart of somebody who was way on the other side. So I don't know where you find yourself today. You might, you might think that, J.D., I don't, I don't know how to get there. Like I have things in my heart. I have things in my past. I have things that I've dealt with. I have words that were spoken to me. That there's a whole thing in my shoulders and, and in my heart. It's things that nobody knows. And I don't know how to get to purity and blameless living. I want to. I'm trying. I don't know how to get there. Let me encourage you today. God's love abounding in your heart through a relationship with Christ is the way. Because His love will give you knowledge. His love will give you discernment. You'll be able to let go of some of those things that were that had you bound, you'll be able to let go of some of those things that that were holding you back. And you will be able to grow in his love. So let me encourage you. Love that is full of knowledge and discernment leads you to approve of what is excellent. And when you begin to approve of what is excellent because of his love, you'll begin to see your heart being purified and you'll be able to live a pure life. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And that's the kind of life that he wants for us. That's the kind of life that he has for us. So desire purity, desire holiness. Ask God to live a blameless life. And I believe he will guide you to live in ways that you've never dreamed before. Do you receive it this morning? Amen. So good to have you here with us. Thank you for listening today. If you have a prayer request, a question about faith, or would like to find out more information, visit us at connectcommunity.org. Don't forget to subscribe and share. See you next time.